All right, what well, has been just a joy to get together and to worship the Lord this morning and to, uh, yeah, just to be able to fellowship with each other in this, in this place this morning on this uh, holiday weekend. I wanted to pause and I wanted to recognize something that happened a little over a week ago with the Supreme Court's decision to overturn the Roe versus Wade um, decision and turn the legal status of abortion back to the states. First, uh, I just wanted to pause because it's a historic, monumental kind of decision that was made and for us as a church family uh, to recognize that. I recognize that in our midst there are are different thoughts, there are different perspectives, experiences, and concerns in regards to this decision, and with that, to varying degrees. And I know that for some there's celebration, and for others there is concern. But with that said, I want to state that God's word clearly speaks the sanctity of human life all throughout from the earliest point of conception to those who have lived for for many years. All life matters and is highly valued. Psalm 139 says this, For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret. Intricately woven in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed substance. And in your book were written every single one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. And so, therefore, I'm grateful when a law that promotes the taking of life is overturned. And I'm grateful that a ruling is made that helps protect the rights of those who are unborn and yet cannot speak for themselves. And so with that said, for us as a church family, I just want to encourage us to continue to approach this issue with great sobriety. We don't know what policies and decisions come in the the future, But I pray that this decision is helpful in the saving of unborn lives. There's many more policies and decisions that's going to come. And thirdly, I know that there are different views on the best way that we go about um, seeing and protecting the lives of the unborn children. As we talked about last week, I want to encourage us, you know, we've all seen, and there's all kinds of discourse going on in dialogue, and it's some things that it's just having those conversations going on, and even amongst believers. And so I want to encourage, as we talked last week, to love one another, to love one another in Christ. May this love for one another characterize the manner in which you dialogue and discuss this issue. I want to encourage you to pray, as you'll see in the bulletin this week on the prayer list. It's just asking you to pray in certain ways in regards to the sanctity of human life. Pray for peace in our country Pray for wisdom for our decision makers. Pray for protection and greater provision for pregnancy care centers who are coming alongside individuals who are in need and, and pray that there wouldn't be any woman, woman who would feel alone or without hope in her time of need. And finally, I am grateful. I'm so grateful for over the years, for us as a church family, that we have a history and, of, uh, and we have a story of coming alongside and being able to support the work of Morningstar Pregnancy Center, most notably here in the past month with the baby bottle blessing. That's just one of the many ways. A number of you have served as counselors there throughout the years. Many have volunteered through the years in various capacities. And so, church, let's continue. Let's continue all the more to do that. And also look for other ways that we can come alongside mothers and fathers who are in crisis situations. 
whether that be through fostering and adopting, as, as has already been the case, or providing needed care and support in other ways. And so let's love and let's be gracious with one another in Christ through our words and in our actions. And may many come to know the grace of Jesus and true life that is found in him alone, ultimately. And might Jesus be glorified. And so this morning, I just wanted to take a moment and pray as we begin our time together. But I wanted to just pause in the midst of, you know, over the past week, there's been somewhere, or months, there's been a lot of conversation on this. But I wanted to encourage us all and remind us of, of who we are in Christ and what um, a biblical worldview has to say on this issue and, and how we can be praying all the more in these days in regards to this. So let's pray. Let's bow our heads as we turn to God's word. Our Father in heaven, we, we come to you now and we thank you for the hope and the, and the joy and the peace that we have in you through uh, the saving work of your son, Jesus, and uh, all that we got to sing of this morning um, through the glorious gospel and all that it means to us and, and how it shapes our lives. And so this morning, God, just here on this uh, 4th of July weekend, as we get to gather together and we sing of and or, or we talk of and we celebrate the freedoms that we have as a country, we ultimately want to celebrate the freedom that we have in you. And, uh, and Lord, we uh, just want to pray. And God, ask that you would continue to guide and lead in regards to this issue of abortion in our country, and God, that you would be glorified in it, that many would come to know you um, throughout each step of this process, God, and that many lives would be saved um, as we go through this. Pray for our discourse and our dialogue in this, and that as Christians, we would represent you well, and that we would be faithful to what you've called us to. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, well, over a week ago, I, uh, or just last Saturday, not yesterday, I got to go in for an MRI on my knee. And so I walk in there, tell you this, getting old stuff, uh, really does it to you. And so I, I went in there, and the lady, it was my first MRI, and so they have you go up and, it's, and lay down on this thing as there's this circle. How many of you have had an MRI? Plenty of you. Oh, my goodness. I was like one of the few who didn't. Wow. <laughs> So you know what I'm talking about. You like lay there, they put you in, they, they tuck you in. Actually, they put a nice heavy blanket on you, they, they put headphones on you, and they ask you, what is your favorite music you want to listen to? And she says, all right, now we're going to do this for 20 minutes, and you're going to hear this loud knocking and beeping and everything like this. And so um, I'm like, okay. And I go in, and sure enough, there it is. You know, everything that she said was true, and... Then I fell asleep, and I had a good nap, and next thing I know, I'm waking up, and it's done. And I'm like, I like MRIs. They are so fun. So, um, so there, what I, my point in saying all this is that this lady did such a great job of just preparing me and saying, I don't want you to be surprised by what you're about to experience and, and what's going to happen and the loud noise. It's all normal. This is how it's going to go. Don't be worried that this is taking longer than it should. It's going to take about 20 minutes. It seemed like 30 seconds to me. But it was, it was wonderful. And so as we're turning today to John chapter 15, we're here at the last section of this passage as we've been spending three weeks just to, to work our way through this uh, chapter and what Jesus has to say to his disciples. His disciples, they've spent the last three years with Jesus as they're um, um, just getting to know him and to love and learn to love and trust him through these years as, as the Messiah, 
as being the promised Messiah, the one that they'd been looking forward to his coming. And now they're making their way to the Garden of Gethsemane, where he's going to be betrayed, where he's going to be handed over in, uh, for his final hours before he is crucified. He knows what was coming for himself. He knew what was coming for his disciples, and he loved them so dearly, and he knew that the days that lay ahead of them, they weren't going to be easy days. And his encouragement to them, and he wants them to know, I don't want you to be surprised by this, that this is what's going to happen. Let not your hearts be troubled, he says back in the beginning of chapter 14. And he starts to let them know what's going to happen. And here in verse 15, he's been telling them and he's been reminding of them about some of the things that are really important that he wants them to remember, that he wants them to know as he's going to be leaving them. And he speaks of three relationships. And so over the past two weeks, we looked at the first two relationships. Um, the first one being that he points to in the first 11 verses is in regards to how, how is it that they're going to... Re, um, to accomplish the work that he's called them to do. And he says, I want you to stay close. I want you to stay close to me. I want you to abide in me like a branch is connected to the vine so that not only can you be faithful, but also so that you can be fruitful. He wants them to know that on their own, they're not going to be able to make it just like a branch of a plant isn't going to make it if it's disconnected. He wants them to stay close to him. He loves them so dearly. He says, I want you to know there's all kinds of things that are going to be vying for your attention, vying for your affections. And some of those things are going to be hard. And he's saying the secret to faithfulness and the secret to fruitfulness is staying close to him. And so we address that question, are you connected? Are you connected to Jesus? In verse 11, Jesus says this, these things are spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. And Jesus is saying, you want to know life? Do you want to know the abundant life? Do you want to know the joy-filled life? The life that's satisfied? Then, then stay attached to me. Because remember, I'm the resurrection and the life. I am the true vine. And so this takes us back to the reason that Jesus is, is uh, that John has written all of this about Jesus. It's so that people would believe and so that they would have life and that they would know joy to the full. And so with that in mind, he then leads into the relationships is what we talked about last week that his disciples are to have with one another that, that as we apply this to our lives, it's how us as a church family, as fellow believers are to have these kinds of relationships with one another. And he said it numerous times, what he says here in verses 12 through 17, it's nothing new. He said it many times and he's saying, I want you to love each other. He's saying, you are chosen to love one another. You're to love each other in the way that I'm going to love you, and you're going to see how I love you in, in the next few hours and the kind of love that I'm calling to you. And then, so as you do so, you're going to bear fruit because that's what I've called you to do, and that's what happens when you abide in me. And so this is why he has called. This is why he has chosen us as his friends. In 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 5 through 8, this is what Peter writes. He says, For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective and or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's saying, I want you to be fruitful, and I want you to be faithful, P 
Peter is saying the same thing. Stay close to Jesus. He's saying, read his word, spend time with him, grow in your knowledge of him, strive for all that honors and glorifies him in loving obedience and love one another, and you're going to be fruitful. It's going to happen. And so he says, abide in me, remain in me, love one another. And why is there such an emphasis on this love for one another? Well, I think as we're going to see in what he says here at the end of this passage, he needs to say all of that. We need to be reminded of it. We need to know that there is all this love and encouragement and support. Because don't be surprised, it's going to be hard. And so let's read verses Um, beginning at verse 17 of chapter 15 here today. John 15, actually let's start at verse 18. It says this, If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you are of the world, and the the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. And if I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin, but but now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. And if I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and hated both me and my Father. But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. And in chapter 16, he continues, I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you thinks he is offering service to God, and they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I have said these things to you, that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. And so do you hear what Jesus says is going to happen? He's been telling them, stay close to me, love each other with all Love him with all your hearts to abide, remain in him. Love each other the way that he is loving, going to show them and has shown them how he loves them so that they be faithful and fruitful. Because then now, as we look at this passage, what's going to happen? People are going to hate them. He says this and this third relationship is one where you need to be aware of and understand what's going to come because in your relationship with the world, those who aren't his disciples, those who aren't following after him and believing that he is who he says he is. He's warning them and he's telling them that this relationship isn't going to be characterized by love. It's not going to be characterized by one in which people uh, think, you know, encouraging and wonderful thoughts about them. No. He's saying that here this relationship is going to be one in which you are hated by the world. There's two kinds of people. There are people who believe and there are people who don't believe. There are people who follow and there are people who don't follow after Jesus. And he's saying, guys, you, you know how you've been called to be fruitful and to love people and tell others about this life that is found in me. Guess what? It's not always going to be easy. There's a chance that people are going to hate you for it and there is a chance there is going to be great cost because of it. 
And so let me give you a heads up on this, and I want to let you know why this is going to happen and what's going on. And look what he says in verse 18. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. He's saying the world's going to hate you. The word that he uses there has to do with detesting something, abhorring something, persecuting in hatred. It suggests this fixed ongoing hatred that is going to be had. How many of you have ever been in that situation whenever someone doesn't like you and you just cannot figure out why? Jesus is saying, uh, this can happen and you don't have to question why it's going to happen. He's telling, you, telling the, his disciples, people may hate you, but don't take it personally because it's not always going to be about something you've done, but rather it's going to be because of me. In verse 19, Jesus gives a little bit more explanation. He says, if you were of the world, the world would love you as its own, but because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. You, the reason that they're going to hate you is because you're not of it. You don't belong to it, but not only do you not belong to it, instead, you belong to Jesus. You are his. Have you ever felt like you're out of place, that you don't belong? And just because you're different, you stick out and everyone's against you, or at least not for you? Jesus is saying this is it. Paul, he helps us understand in Ephesians 5 that there is this spiritual battle, this real battle going on. James tells us that the devil is prowling around like a roaring lion, looking who he can devour. There is evil hatred towards us because of our allegiance to Jesus. If the world hated Jesus and we're abiding in him and we're attached to him and we're staying close to him, how can we expect anything different, right? Verse 20, remember the word that I said to you, a servant is no greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. And if they kept my word, they will also keep yours. There's a connection here between whether one receives Jesus or whether they don't. But then Jesus takes it even further and he says, not only is it because of their hatred for me, but it's because of their hatred at the heart of the matter is that they hate the Father. Verse 21, but all these things they will do to you on account of my name. All this person is because of persecution is because of him. Why? Because they do not know him who sent me. Who's the one who sent him? It's the Father, right? Verse 22, if I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my Father also. And if I, I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. Jesus is telling them that in his coming, he has revealed through his word and deeds the Father all the more. And in so doing, not only were they guiltless before at all, but all the more now their guilt and hatred is being exposed for the Father. Remember what Jesus said early in this gospel. And this is the judgment, John chapter 3, verse 19. We know verse 16 really well. Sometimes we know 17. And then we get to 19 here. Let me just remind you, this is what he says. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than light because their works were evil. Jesus is saying to his disciples, be encouraged. Be encouraged because when you face time, times whenever people are hating you, because of your devotion to me and your desire to make the gospel known to others, that life is found in me alone and nowhere else, remember this, know this, that it's because of sin on their part, it's because they hate the Father, 
In some cases, there's going to be persecution and hatred that's going to come even for those who, from those who are religious people because they think that what they're doing Persecution and hatred is going to come even from those who are religious people as would be evidenced by what was about to happen in the days to come. What's going to happen? Verse 26. But when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father and the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me and you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. You might think, well, if I don't want to face hostility, I don't really have to open my mouth. I don't have to say anything. I can just be quiet about it all. We can keep to ourselves, but Jesus is saying, here's the deal. Whenever you're abiding in Jesus, whenever you're staying connected to him and you're close to him, you're not going to be able to keep it in because those who are abiding in him bear fruit. And the Holy Spirit, the helper, he's going to give us. He's going to bear witness about Jesus and he's going to make it him known. And not only that, but you're not going to be able to keep from telling others about him because you have been abiding in Jesus and you're knowing the greatest joys in your life and, you, and that's what you've been called to do, is to go and tell and you want others to know it also. And so here's the encouragement. The Holy Spirit will continue to give you the strength to endure whatever it is, whatever the hard thing is, whatever the hostility there is that you might face. Jesus calls, calls the Holy Spirit the helper, the spirit of truth. And Jesus is saying that the Holy Spirit is the one who helps. He's the one who brings encouragement and strengthens. And he's also the one who teaches. He's the one who illuminates and reminds us of the truth. When we face hostility, isn't it encouraging? So encouraging. It helps us keep going. It, it reminds us, the Holy Spirit reminds us of the truth of who Jesus is, and he gives us the encouragement that we need to keep on going. And so as we look at this, as we wrap up this, this chapter and this passage this morning, in Jesus' words to his disciples in regards to the hostility that they may face for his sake, and that believers all around the world are facing to this day, even some to the point of death, he says this of why he has said this to them. Verse 1, chapter 16. What does he say? He says, I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling. The reason that he said all of this here in these previous moments here is that it's all about abiding in him. All this talk about loving one another and about the persecution that they're going to face is so that they won't fall away. It's so that they'll stay faithful and so that they'll stay fruitful. Verse 2, look, he wants them to know that this hostility that they're going to face is sometimes going to come from those who should know better. He's saying it's going to come from people who are even religious leaders. They're going to throw you out of the synagogues. There are those who are going to think that they're doing the right thing in God's eyes when they take it to the level of even taking your lives. There's nothing easy at times about following Jesus, but this is what's going to happen, and he's going, and he's given us and he's encouraging his followers, his disciples, this is what you need to do. And this is how you stay faithful and fruitful. And so he's saying, be ready for this. Verses 3 and 4, be ready for this. It's going to happen because they hate me and the Father. But be encouraged and know, I'm not going to leave you alone. You are not on your own. You have the Holy Spirit who is going to be with you to encourage you all along the way and remind you of all that you need to remember. And he's going to give you the words that you need to say at just the right time and just the right ways. And so we need to hear this, don't we, as Christians? 
You need to hear this. You have been chosen. You have been set apart by Christ to be fruitful in the world. But know this, you can expect persecution. Don't think it will be easy as you tell others about him, but know that you've got the Holy Spirit who's gonna give you everything that you need, all the encouragement, all the words that you need along the way. Don't expect the world to be like you. Don't be surprised. You're not gonna fit in because you are different. You don't fit with it. Know that because you don't belong to this world, there's the chance that it may come to the point, it may come to the point where you'll be asked to give your life for the sake of Christ. But know that if we're to be faithful to the task that God has given us, that we can't opt out and not be in the world. We are in the world, but we're not of it. We can't keep to ourselves, we have a job to do, to bear fruit, go and to tell the good news of the gospel. No matter what, we must keep at it. We just need to be ready and be aware and don't be surprised. As clear as you look to Acts and the beginnings of the early church and, and where it went from there, there was persecution, plenty of it, martyrdom. These weren't things that weren't, were unknown to followers of Christ. This is hard work, but it's what we're called to. And so will you go? Will you be faithful to the task? Guys, let's stay close to Jesus. Let's love one another, and let's keep telling and loving the world with the truth of the gospel. And as we're sent, we need to remember, what is it that he said? Matthew nine thirty seven: the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Remember the context. John wrote this gospel so that people would believe, so that people would know the saving grace of Jesus. So don't be surprised, don't be discouraged. He loves you, he's with you. Be encouraged as you abide in him. Let's love one another, we need it. We need the encouragement. And so this morning as we finish our time here together, what better way for us to remember our Savior's love for us and how much God loves us than participating in Holy Communion together as we remember his sacrificial death on the cross for us, as we remember the freedom that we have in him. And so let's celebrate that and freshly be reminded of what is accomplished through the cross as we look forward to the day of his return. If you're here and you're, this morning and you haven't yet placed your faith and your trust in Jesus, I hope you've been encouraged. I hope you have been, uh, become aware of a God who loves you and cares for you and desires to have a relationship with you. And in him there is forgiveness of sin and hope of eternal life in him. And so I would invite you to to place your faith and trust in him as your Lord and Savior this morning, recognizing not only your sin, but also the hope that we have that what Jesus accomplished on the cross is the only way by which we can know eternal life as we surrender our lives and place our trust in him. He wants you to know that forgiveness. He wants you to know redemption. He wants you to know healing. He wants you to know joy, peace, eternal life, and experience a relationship with one who loves you more than you can even understand.
And so if you are a follower after Jesus, I invite you to participate in, in this time of uh, Holy Communion and remembering our Savior's death on the cross for, for us. Here's what we are reminded of as Paul writes. He says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, he took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the Lord the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And so let's just bow our heads and let's pray as we prepare for this time.